If you have your Bibles, would you find Revelation 21, where Matt just read Revelation 21, last book of the Bible, the 21st chapter. There should be a Bible around you. If you didn't bring one, you can grab it. If you need to take it as your own, you're welcome to have it. Revelation 21. Almost a year ago, we began a study in the book of Revelation in chapter 1. And when I began that study almost a year ago, the first sermon that I preached had this title, Heaven and Earth Belong to the Lord. And now we read today in chapter 21, how that heaven and earth that belong to the Lord will be made new by the Lord. Revelation 21 and verse 5 says, he makes all things new. What must have that meant for John? John was the author of the revelation. John was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord. God had radically transformed his life. He'd been known as a son of thunder. He had a great deal of zeal and even rage in him. God transformed him. He had gone through the witnessing of the gospel for many years and through that process of witnessing the gospel, saw many of his friends die. Painful deaths even. All the disciples, all of his close associates had been martyred. He'd been to the funeral of so many of his friends. He'd been now exiled to the island of Patmos. This is after having been sentenced to death by boiling in oil. By God's providence escaped that. Now, now in a prison on an island away from all of his loved ones. When Domitian, who sent him there, who was the emperor of Rome, died, John was able to go off of Patmos back to Ephesus where he pastored, but he was incarcerated and died in prison after two years. You can imagine then what those around John must have been thinking. What must have been their hope and expectation by hearing and reading this revelation? The revelation, by the way, if you're just joining us, is not something to be feared. In fact, we're told there's blessings for reading the revelation and there's blessings for keeping it, which means if I keep it, I have to understand it. There are some people who say, oh man, I want to stay away from revelation because I don't understand all that's there. However, it's a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus Christ, and much can be understood here, that brings us hope today. How many of you believe we live in a broken world that needs to be It needs to be remade. We have a broken society and a broken culture. How many of you believe that the answer to our broken culture is a government? I don't see many hands in that vote. Uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was president, uh, actually he was running for president, made this statement. He said, some of the most dreadful words anyone could hear are these. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, there, there's no hope in, in man for, for, the, for the solution of the brokenness of our world only in the shalom of Christ, the Prince of Peace who's coming back to rule from a new Jerusalem. And I want us to look in this passage because it's here in this passage that we see that God will one day create a new world. He will create a new world in which he will be present and all sin will be absent. Here's the outline. The heavens and earth will be made new. The heavens and the earth will be made new. The Lord will dwell with his people and the effects of sin will be done away with. So let's get into it. Look at verse one. The heavens and the earth will be made new. John said, then I saw. 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So this is a great, great scene in which there is a great uncreation. God created everything in six days, and on the seventh rested. He created everything, and it was good. He created everything in Genesis 1 and 2. We read about that creation in Revelation 21. We read how that it will be recreated. We read in Genesis how that sin entered into the creation and death entered into a garden. Revelation 21, we read how death exits all of reality. Peter said this at the end of his life, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies, heavenly bodies, they will be dissolved. But according to his promise, we're waiting, Peter said, for new heavens and a new earth. I want you to note that there will be new heavens. In the New Testament, uh, we see that there are three heavens, basically. You have the sky, uh, the atmosphere around us. Uh, it's deteriorating regularly. It needs to be remade. The starry celestial uh, bodies that, that, that light our night, but the heavenly as well. Third heaven is where God dwells. There's going to be a new heaven. I believe what John saw here was a comprehensive remaking of everything, including all the heavens and the earth. The earth needs to be remade. It's deteriorating as well. It is corrupt as well. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that everything is in a state of decaying and corruption. And the corruption of creation is comprehensive. Why? Why is there so much corruption in our creation? We see it everywhere we go. Everything that we do is, is, is fraught uh, with the fall. Everything. I mean, you can't even keep a manicure lawn. After a while, you'll do everything you can. You can fertilize it and do everything you can to water it just right. But dollar weed's going to pop up. Everything that we do is, is, is wrapped up in futility, the Bible says. Why, why is that? I think a lot of people ask that. Why is that? Why is there suffering? Why are there shootings? Why, why is there death? Why is there cancer? Why is there sickness? In Romans chapter 8, Scripture says, For creation was subjected to futility. Why? Not willingly. Creation didn't want that. But because of him who subjected it. In hope, though. In hope, though. And so we're told that God is the one who cursed creation. God did. And why? Well, why did he do that? You would say, what kind of God would curse creation? You go all the way back to Genesis, and you see that Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, and because they sinned, they brought death upon themselves and a hopelessness, a hopelessness. So what God did in his kindness and in his grace, it subjected all of creation to futility so that we, mankind, could realize this earth is not all there is. This is not heaven. This is a taste sometimes of heaven. We might join with family today and have a taste of a reunion like we'll have in heaven. We'll have food that will make us think of what we might have in heaven. But whatever we eat here now is like strained peas for babies compared to filet mignon. It goes way beyond that. What we have in heaven is going to be exponentially greater than anything we have on earth. God subjected everything in futility so we wouldn't get comfortable here. We don't want to get comfortable with death and suffering and sorrow. When there's so much more God has in store. 
So we read how that creation is in bondage, but God has the key. And in verse 21 of Romans 8, we'll unlock creation one day and set it free when everything that is is uncreated. And then there's a recreation. God's going to recreate all things. He tells us in Psalm 102, the earth is growing old like a garment. And when you get done with a garment that is war slap out, you just throw it away and you put on a new one. That's what's going to happen to this world and the universe and everything that exists. God's going to remake it. Creation is groaning in hope, though, and expectation. And for we know the whole, we say this, we know the whole creation is groaning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, like in childbirth until now. Childbirth is so special, and I'm grateful that God has given us three children. I've been at all of those, all of those births, watching my wife go through that childbirth, that pain, that labor. And I'm glad it was my wife that gave birth, and we're old school that way, by the way. We just think that's the way it should work. And uh, I'm thinking, Lord, thank you for my wife. And after the first one, I'm like, will we ever have another one? I mean, that's painful. And then after some time, she begins talking about, let's have another one. And I'm like, amen. That's the way it is with creation right now. It is suffering. It's laboring. It is sick. But there's a hope. There's coming a new creation. And it's not just the creation around us, but all of us will be recreated because in Romans 8.23, we read, it's not just creation, but ourselves because we have the first fruit of the Spirit. What is that all about? Well, in Revelation, we read how that Jesus is the first fruit from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the very same thing, that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead as a first fruit. The first fruit is a farming term that says there is a first part of the harvest and evidence that there will be a second part. You get the first gleaning, but there's coming a second gleaning. We, because we know Jesus rose from the dead, came out of the grave bodily, will one day receive a resurrection and a new body. We're going to be uncreated and recreated. I'm not just getting a better version of myself. I'm getting a whole new body. I'm a soul. You're a soul. We're a soul with a body. But this body will be recreated, the Bible says. And we're going to have an incredible body. Look at Jesus' body when he rose from the dead. He came out of the grave. He could walk right through a wall. He didn't need anyone to open a door for him. And yet he could eat breakfast at the same time. Now that's an incredible body, right? And in heaven, we're going to have a body just like Jesus Christ. God is in the business of making things new. He can take anything and make it new. In fact, he can make you new today. If I were to ask you your story, what's going on in your life, is part of your story this, God's making me new, pastor. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. God can make you new, not just make you nice, new. Not just help you to turn over a new leaf, give you a new life. You can be born from above, born again, all sin gone. You can be having a new relationship with God, close communion with the Lord. You can be made new today. You, you and I need to be made new. We're born in sin. Dead is a hammer to God. We're born in sin and in trespasses and dead to God. And you can't undead yourself. You have to have someone raise you from the dead. And guess what? There's a Savior who walked out of the grave victorious who can raise your spirit from its deadness to new life in Christ. 
Don't you want that? Some of you have grown up in church, maybe for a long time, been a part of church, but you know that you're not raised yet. You're still miserable in your sin, eking it through, trying your best, striving to get there, and you never will because you're dead, and unless God raises you, you'll stay dead, and you'll experience the second death, which is hell. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We see first here that all things are going to be made new. Secondly, in this new new existence, there's going to be a new capital. Look in verse 2. The Lord here is going to dwell with his people. The Lord's going to dwell with his people. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, notice this is a city. This is a city and the capital of the new creation. It is the new Jerusalem. There's an old Jerusalem right now that's under siege. There's been violence in the old Jerusalem this week, hasn't there? Israel's been in the news. Jerusalem's been in the news. There'll be a new Jerusalem one day. So that tells us that there's actually going to be a real city. Maybe you think about heaven in worldly terms. That you're going to be existing with God in the clouds with a diaper and a harp. But heaven's a real place on a real earth. It's a real city, a real place, a real city, a place, a real city. Abraham, when he left his homeland, was looking for the city whose architect, the Bible says, and builder is God. We see that it's a holy city. Did you see that? Holy city. Sometimes we call Israel the holy land, but it's really not. Not yet. It's holy then in the future because of the population. The people in that city are right before God. Righteous people that have been made right with God by the blood of Jesus Christ live in that city. The citizens of the New Jerusalem are the saved and only the saved. It's a ruled place. A ruled place. What does that mean? Well, I just mentioned that government's not the answer unless the government's God. And we read how that Jesus has the government on his shoulder and is coming back to rule on this earth in that righteous city he's going to rule in that government. And when he does, there will be perfect peace. The shalom of God. No wonder when Jesus, when he was resurrected, said to his disciples, shalom. To the ladies, Shalom. What is shalom? It's the time of perfect peace. It's when everything is complete. All wrong is right. When you wish shalom on someone, you wish that their life be intact and fulfilled. More than absence of conflict, you have everything that you need. It is both the absence of war and it is the presence of peace. It's both. We don't have that yet. We're told pray for the shalom of Israel. That's a prayer we should be praying. But that is not just, there's peace in the Middle East. Oh, the Antichrist will bring that. No, we were praying for the Prince of Peace who will come and bring the perfect completeness on this earth so that there is no sickness or poverty or hunger in any way. There's no, there, there, there's no trouble or trials, no crime whatsoever. It is a perfect city of peace. You won't have to lock your doors in that city. You won't have to turn on an alarm in that city. You won't even have to worry about what is a concealed carry permit in that city. That city is a perfect place of peace. A rural place by Christ. Perfect shalom. A pastor friend of mine was in Israel and he bought me a pen. And on that pen he brought back from Israel, he gave to me. It says on that pen, shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all. 
He knows me well. He knows that I am looking forward to that day that there's going to be a shalom, a perfect peace. And it's not just for me, it's for y'all. Because heaven's not only a real place, a righteous place, a rule place. It is a relational place. Five different ways the Holy Spirit told John to write how that God wants a relationship with us. And he wants to commune with us on this earth. This earth is corrupted and cursed, and God cannot and will not dwell on this earth the way it is. But he will recreate it, and then he will have a people that will be with him. Notice verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Some of your translations may say heaven, but the idea there is the throne of God. The throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is where? It's with man. You're kidding me. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And the word there for people is in the plural, meaning that it's not only the people of Israel, but even those outside of Israel, of every nation. And God himself will be with them as their God. He spoke from the throne. Who's on the throne? Well, throughout Revelation, we've learned it is the Lamb of God who's on the throne. The Lamb. Who's the Lamb? The Lord Jesus Christ. What did the Lamb do for us? He came to redeem us with His life by His death to bring us to God. Redemption is all about bringing us to God. That's what redemption is about. That's why we're celebrating Easter. The Lamb was sacrificed, and that sacrifice was acceptable to God so that God raised His Son, the Lamb, to life and set Him on a throne. And from the throne, we have this incredible redemption. If you ask a Hasidic rabbi, a Jewish Hasidic rabbi, what is God's desire? You'll probably receive this answer. We would agree with the rabbi, at least here. What is God's desire? Let me just make this clear because the rabbi would say what I would say. God has no need. He is not incomplete. Doesn't need us. He certainly doesn't need me. He doesn't need our singing. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need a thing. He is complete in and of himself, but he has a desire. And the rabbi would say, the desire of God is a habitation in the lower world. Jesus came and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God. But one day, one day, it will be unveiled. Jesus came veiled in flesh, but one day he's coming and all the glory that Moses wanted to see but couldn't because it would have killed him, we'll see. All the glory of God will be on the earth and we will dwell with him and he will dwell with us. It's amazing to me that we're going to have this type of a relationship with the living God. This is why, y'all, you want to go to heaven is because you get to be with God. God, God, the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who gave his son for you. He wants to commune with you. This is an incredible detail that God gives us in Genesis chapter 3. And that is that there was a time Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. What a cool, what a cool detail. They could walk with God and talk with God. They could ask God anything and fellowship with God. But when they sinned, they lost that. And in Adam, we have sinned and we've lost that. And Jesus came to restore that. And one day in the new creation, we're going to dwell with God Get all the notions out of your mind that heaven's going to be a place that you don't want to be. It is going to be the place that your body right now could not even ever live because one second in the very presence of the glory of God, you would die. It's that awesome. Thirdly, 
Here's what's awesome about the creation as well. This new creation will be a place where the effects of sin will be done away with. Are you all in verse 4? Say amen. Cool. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. I love the passage there that says, or that saying there, passed away. We've already seen it once. We see it in Peter. Passed away is a very special expression. It has been traditionally used in the church about someone who dies. Occasionally, I'll mention someone's passed away. Someone will kindly want to correct me and say, Pastor, they didn't pass away. They're in heaven now. And I understand that. But then... Biblical understanding of pass away means that what was still is, but not in the same state. I'll say it again. What was still is, but not in the same state. So when a believer passes away, they, they still are. They're just not in the same state. They put off, Peter said, I'm putting off this old tent. <laughs> That's how he called it. He called his body a tent. I'm wearing out this tent. Paul says, we're going to put off this corruptible body and put on an incorruptible. We're going to put off a mortal body and put on an immortal body. The idea then, all things are going to pass away, means that there is going to be a time when those things which are, are going to be different, including our emotions. We're going to be emotional in heaven. We just won't have the type of emotions that lead us into discouragement or even depression. We're not going to have the emotions that lead us to cry. Look, no more tears. There's going to be a day when all our tears are wiped away by our Lord. The tears that we cry now in sadness can all stem, be, be traced to the same root problem. All of our tears, all of our sorrows, all of our sadness have the same stem. And it's sin. You can think about it, work it out for yourself. But you and I don't have a problem that sin didn't cause. So in the new creation... When God is present, sin will be absent. When God is present, sin will be absent. And when sin is absent, so is grief. When God is present, grief will be absent. No more tears. No more death. Look at this. No more death. This is what we all want, isn't it? To live forever. Just this weekend, two articles came out about immortality. One article said this. The first, listen, it's the first anti-aging pill will hit the shelves in 2028. Sam Altman, 37, revealed that he has invested $137 million in his biotech startup called Retrobioscience, which enable, will enable people to reverse aging. You say, well, that's, that's weird that someone would spend that kind of money. But listen to what Amazon Jeff Bezos have spent. It's reported that Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, has invested $3 billion, $3 billion with a B, $3 billion in life extension startup labs. PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel has invested in the, I love the name of his foundation, the Methuselah Foundation. Why is that funny? Well, because Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible. He says his goal through his foundation is to make the 90-year-old the new 50 Another article, could you live forever? Experts claim humans could achieve immortality by the year 2030. That's six and a half years from now. So that's weird, that's strange, that's sci-fi stuff. Well, except here's what is being uh, worked on through R&D. 
computers that you can actually upload your mind to. So that now your brain will be in the clouds. On servers. And droids are being developed where now then your brain can be downloaded to the droid. So the article says that you could actually attend your body's own funeral. But you would live in immortality. That's crazy. Ray Kurzweil, Google's director of engineering, engineering, Google, Google's engineering director says he believes you'll be able to upload your entire brain by 2045. Imagine that just brings a whole new meaning to streaming services, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, every year, every, you make sure you pay that bill every month that comes in. You'll lose your mind. I mean, you lose your phone, you really will lose your mind. I just bring that up because I want to show you that there's just an idea that we're going to need to live forever. And who can solve that issue? Even atheists that I've spoken to over the years have said, well, here's the reason I don't believe in God. Because. And something along these lines is said, if I were God. If I were God, there wouldn't be any suffering. There wouldn't be any sickness and there wouldn't be any death. A child wouldn't die at 10 years old of cancer. If I were God. Just proving that we know there's a God. And you're not. And he is. And one day all suffering will be alleviated. All crying, mourning. Jesus bore our griefs. He knew no sin, took our griefs and our sorrows to the cross. All pain gone, the sea gone, the sea having the idea of instability, of fear, all that gone. Former things of this world have passed away. John, so overwhelmed by this that the Lord has to say to John, John, write this down. John's job was to write down what he saw. So overwhelmed, the Lord had to say, John, get back to it. Look what the text says. Write these things for they are faithful and true. I'm not only making things new. I'm going to make everything true. This sounds like maybe for some of you, pie in the sky. In fact, some of you may even think of this. Well, this just sounds like another utopian society. And it's the creation of somebody's imagination. Except it's not. I mean, do yourself a favor and look at it. Every religion, every religion has some idea of some future existence where there will be no pain and suffering. I mean, even the Buddhist who does not believe in an afterlife believes that there's an energy that's going to, in, to, to nirvana. I mean, so every religion, every system, new age or otherwise, has an idea there's some sort of afterlife for people to go to where there's no suffering. Everyone has an idea of paradise, even the Muslim. But all earthly concepts of heavenly realms fall short of what heaven truly is. Because every single religion and every single idea and every country song about heaven, by the way, has man at the center. And I want to show you how that's not heaven. And heaven's not utopia. It is the place where God is at the center. God is the one who the entire universe revolves around. Look again at the text. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. 
And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There's so much there. So much there. I am, meaning it's all done in me. It is all done for me. It is all done by me, through me, and forever. I'll make it all consist. Because I'm the Alpha and the Omega. What is that? The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The first letter in the Greek alphabet is Alpha, and the last is Omega. Jesus is simply saying, I am the first, the last, and everything in between. You cannot get to heaven if you miss the Alpha. You can't get home if you miss first base. You have to be saved. You have to have Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, what religious creed you have. You are of the same race as everyone else in society. There's one race. We have one blood. It all comes from Adam. And we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And he's the one who can save because he's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our salvation. And he will be the one who is the centrality of heaven. The centrality of the new creation. And this is not our default. This is not a default state as a man or as a woman. Our default state is not to be about God. It's not even to be God-centered. In fact, as I talk about heaven, our tendency is to begin asking questions. Well, do I really want to go there? Will there be fishing in heaven? Will there be motorcycles in heaven? Will my cat be in heaven? Will my dog be in heaven? Will my relatives be in heaven? I have so many times... He's been brokenhearted at people who say, well, if my relatives aren't going to be in heaven, I don't want anything to do with it. See, our default state, because we are born in sin, is self-centeredness. Heaven's God-centered. Think about it. If you don't think our default state's self-centeredness, just have children. Because babies are so self, self, selfless, aren't they? Baby, babies, they only want to eat on your schedule, right? Think about your own self. You go today to your family, get together, and pictures are taken, and then the phone's shown, and how's this picture look? What are you going to look for? Yeah, right away, how do I look in that picture? Heaven's not going to be about us. It's going to be about God. What's that like? Well, I can tell you this. It's going to be satisfying. And I know that from this text, because look in verse 6. To the thirsty, I will give him from the spring of the water of life without payment. In other words, in heaven, where God is centered, where God is central, we'll be finally satisfied. Finally satisfied. Mick Jagger was wrong. There is satisfaction. There was a musician who had a band by the name of the Slinging Stones. His name was David. And he said, I will be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. In other words, there's no satisfaction on earth, but there will be satisfaction in heaven when God is the one whom we're satisfied with. And we can be satisfied in God. Here's what's wonderful about God. There's not a boring bone in his body. The most joyful creature in all of the universe is God. The most contagious laughter will be God's. There's no sadness in God. He's never discouraged. He's never melancholy. He's not moody. He is fired up. And when you're around him, you will be too. There's rejoicing around the throne of God. So when we get to heaven, we will not be bored. 
We won't be sad. I like what J.R. Tolkien said. He said, it's in heaven that all sad things of earth will be untrue. You'll be known in heaven. You know why? Because we're told that in, in heaven, we are going to be just like Jesus. And John said, because we'll see him as he is, we will be just like him and we'll be known. We'll know each other. You don't really even know yourself. You're trying to figure yourself out. Be self-aware. Be comfortable in your own skin. In heaven, you finally will be. And you'll know each other. You won't miss your old life. Not at all. Not at all. Heaven's going to swallow up your old life with such fervor that you'll never even think about your old life on earth. It will be so wonderful in heaven, you'll never give another thought about what you have left because you have not left anything in comparison to heaven. The glory that is to come, the glory that's come, it's going to so outweigh, Paul said, even the suffering they've had on the earth. You ever fasted for an extended period of time? And after the extended fast without food, grab a banana and think, this is the best banana on the face of the earth. You didn't know a banana could taste that good. After fasting, that's going to be heaven, but on steroids. You're like, well, heaven be great. There, every great thing on earth is going to be exponentially greater in heaven. And every sad thing on earth is going to be gone. You don't want to miss heaven. Why would you miss heaven? If you miss heaven, you're going to hell. Why would you miss God? Are you that self-centered today? Are you that full of self that you would not be saved today? Are you, does the universe really resolve around you that much that you're unwilling to follow Christ? This is going to be a place where we won't be tempted. There'll be no sin. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, but the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, that's the word pharmakai, pharmakai in the Greek, idolaters, liars, they'll have their portion in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and it's the second death. There's the choice. You can live forever. In the joy of the Lord, or you can die forever under judgment. You've already read God is relational and He's made a way for you to be saved, a way for you to escape your sin. So I don't like it. I heard a little about a, about a little boy. He'd gone to church and he decided he would be a preacher, and so he started a church in his backyard. And he went and got all the pets of the neighborhood to be his congregation. They preached the gospel to the cats and the dogs. They decided, this is good, I'm going to baptize them. So he grabbed the neighbor's cat, started baptizing, and of course, you can imagine the noise that cat made. The neighbor came over and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm baptizing the cat. The neighbor says, son, don't you know cats don't like water? They don't like water at all. The little boy said, well, he should have thought of that before he joined my church. So I, I don't like, I, I don't like that this world is corrupted by sin and that I was born with a sin nature. Yeah, but you like your sin. And you cannot escape your sin by just denying the truth. And you're not going to escape by procrastinating. There are a lot of people in hell who are going to get saved. 
a lot of people in hell that were going to get saved. God's made a way. His purpose is to have a relationship with you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's provided payment through His Son. This, this, is, this is the way in which we're saved. The Bible says, look, look, in that verse, you can, you can drink. You know who's saved? Thirsty people are. I, I want to be saved. Are you thirsty? I'm going to tell you something. The scraps of this world's table cannot ever fulfill you, but God will. Jesus went to a woman in John chapter 4 who was drinking from the well of the world, the polluted system of this entire world, and she was so thirsty, thirsty for affection and love and fulfillment. She had had sex with men. She had had marriages and divorces. She had looked at this world, and everything she tried, everything she tried just left her empty. You know why? Because that's what the world does. The devil, man, he's got it. Hey, just, just go on that new vacation. Just go on that cruise. Just buy that house. Buy that car. Get that job. Get that relationship. Dump this one. Get that one. You just need an update on your phone. You just need a new phone. You just need a new game. You just need a new experience. You just need... Man, he keeps doling it out. But nothing in this world ever satisfies. God says, I'll give you what satisfies. And it doesn't cost you anything. Revelation 22, same thing. Come, drink the water that you don't buy. This is from Isaiah 55 in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verse 1 is the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. is come and buy from me without cost. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can be saved and be satisfied forever, forever and ever and ever if you will come and be saved. The reality is we're all sinners and we're selfish. Our iniquities and our selfishness has separated us from God. God is coming to this world when he remakes it, but he doesn't come among sinners. He comes upon the righteous and he makes things righteous. You will not live with God in your sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. It just simply means that we've gone our own way. We want to do what we want, when we want, how we want. We're self-centered that way. We have to be willing to turn from our selfishness. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he looked at it and said, it is very good. But man was tempted. Adam sinned, and because of that brought death on the entire creation. Solomon summed it up really well. I've looked at man, and man was made upright, but has become evil in all his devices. Because of Adam's sin, all humanity now is in sin, and all deserve death. Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. One out of one die. Right? That's a statistic we can't get away from. We can't save ourselves. We can't get saved by trying to do better. Becoming more religious. More pious. More just. If we could, we'd brag. And the Bible says very clearly, salvation is not something we can boast in and of ourselves. It is by grace through faith that we're saved. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest we would brag. Our mind is set on the flesh. Even our minds can't please God. The Bible says very clearly our minds are hostile towards God. Our minds are hostile towards God, and we have to be raised from the dead by God because we cannot save ourselves. We deserve death and hell. This is why that song gets me, Mike, that we sing. It gets me every time. And I think about how the Lord stands in my defense because I know what I deserve. I remember that night sitting in church. I prayed so many times. God, don't send me to hell. I don't, I, I don't, if I had a dollar for every time I prayed that prayer, God, don't send me to hell. I was so scared. I was one of the fearful. I was leading the prayer to hell. 
I was praying the prayer, God don't send me to hell. Until the night I sat in church and admitted I deserved to go there. And that night I talked to a man who led me to faith in Jesus Christ. And now I don't ever pray, don't send me to hell. I've got an assurance of salvation. I can lay my head on my pillow at night and say, I don't know if I'll wake up, but if I don't wake up in this bed, I'll wake up in Christ's presence. Do you have that kind of assurance? Because you can. That's what God sent his son for. So you to be saved, you and I deserve hell. We deserve hell. And that song gets to me because I know one day I'm going to stand before God. And here I am. He knows everything about me. Y'all don't know everything about me. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about me. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But Christ stood in my defense. Okay, he, he, he stood in my place. He's not just my defense attorney. He paid the penalty for my crime. He died and it was so acceptable that he rose again the third day. I don't have to answer a thing. He, that's what I guess, he stood in my defense on the cross. He stood in yours. You can be saved. That's why Jesus died. He bore the burden of your sin He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. What is your response? Your response is to repent. Oh God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Turn. Turn from your selfishness and your self-righteousness and your self-centeredness and your sin. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Repent, the Bible says, therefore, and you will be converted. When you come to Christ, it costs a lot. It costs everything. In fact, the Bible says, if any man man will come after me, if any man comes after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said on one occasion, as an example, he said, as an example, there's a guy who found a treasure in a field, went and sold everything that he had so he could buy the field so he could have the treasure. Salvation's that treasure. It's worth burning everything to have. Jesus said, "It's, it's so worth to be saved that if your eye is keeping you from being saved, pluck out your eye. It'd be better that your body would go in with one eye into heaven than go into hell with both eyes. Is that literal? <laughs> it's better to go to heaven with one eye than hell with both. Take up your cross. You must decide to be carnally minded as death, to be spiritually minded as peace. The shalom of God, the completeness of God only come when you're saved through Christ. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly, not just in the age to come, but even in this age, he'll fill your heart. But you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be saved. Will you? Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? I want you to stand right now. We're going to have a time of invitation and we're going to ask you today um, to be saved. I'm going to ask you what God has asked you to do to be saved. Has there been a moment in your life where you know that you know that you're saved? That you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and your story goes like this. He, God, forgave me. He, God, saved me. God, by his own sovereign power, raised me from death to life. If your story starts this way, when someone asks you, hey, are you going to heaven? And your story starts in the, in the first person. Yeah, yeah, I... You get a question whether or not really you're regenerated, converted, saved, born from above, because you and I didn't do anything. God's the one who saves, and God alone. The gospel is so so good, such good news. But the bad news is you can't save yourself, but the good news is God will save you if you believe. 
The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pastor, I need to be saved today. I'm like you. I don't have that assurance. I, I, I was like you used to be. I don't have that assurance of heaven. I'm not sure I'm going. I want to be sure. You can be. You can be. You can be saved today. So well, I, how, do I, how do I do that today? Come to Christ. I always get concerned on Easter. I, I, you know, I'm not on a big parade against Easter eggs and bunnies and stuff like that. But I just hate how Satan takes the attention off of Christ and puts it on so many other things. And, and then we're, our default is not Christ-centered, God-centered. Our, our default is, and I hope right now that, that you're not leaning in to, onto what's next today. Th- that the enemy is pulling you away from being centered on Christ. Let me just be very clear. This moment right now matters. And there's some daddies in here, dads in here. I'm going to speak very, very candidly and lovingly to you. I love you, but I'm going to be candid. You're not leading your family. And you and I are going to answer for how we lead our family. And it's not something we need to think and put off or be passive about. And I want to encourage you, if you're a dad and you haven't been leading your family spiritually, you can. We'll help you. It's, I don't know how. Get it. We can help you. It's all right. But you've got to make that call. You've got to make that call. You, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to step in and lead my family and love my family to Christ. We'd love to help you with that. We would love to have you that. Moms, you know what Paul said? Paul said to moms, he said, your mothering is saving grace. It's saving grace. He didn't mean salvific towards heaven. He meant one of the greatest um, joys and most influence you'll ever have is with your kids and leading them to know Jesus Christ. I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to do what you're doing today. And I want to just say, I'm grateful that you're doing it today. Dad, mom, you're leading your family today. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't get distracted by this world. Don't get distracted by the things that don't satisfy. Be faithful to the Lord so your kids can watch faithful examples. We're not perfect. Well, I go back and do a lot of things as a dad. I'd do a lot of things differently. But here's what I know. If you'll trust the Lord, He is gracious to help you to lead your family. Would you do it? Would you make that decision? Maybe you need to get right with God. I can't imagine that everyone in here is walking right with God today. I don't know. I don't know you. I don't follow you around. You don't follow me around. But here's the deal. There's some of you here today, you're walking at a guilty distance, aren't you? But you have been overwhelmed by the grace of God today. And you know that the goodness of God leads to repentance. And you need to repent and get right with God. How about doing that today? You know, on the cross, when there was a thief who called out in faith, he said, God, will you remember me? Jesus, will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? That prayer of faith saved. It's the prayer of faith that saves. It is a sincere prayer that God will save you, that you will be his and he will be yours. I mentioned this Friday night, but there was a thief on the other side of Jesus who also prayed to be saved, but he didn't get saved. And you know why? All he cared about was his life. He didn't care about heaven. He didn't see Jesus as a sacrifice. He just saw Jesus as escape, an escape from death. And when we look at heaven, it's not an escape from this life. It is a presence with the Lord. And the prayer of faith that saves is the prayer that says, God, and you just pray this way to God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I deserve help. I'm amazed, God, that you would save me and send Jesus for me. But I'm asking you for the free gift of salvation. Save me now. Save me now. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you prayed and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but your life is forever changed. I'll tell the story that I shared last service that in the first service, eight o'clock, one of our preachers that's preaching right now 
in another place was in the 8 o'clock service. He said, you know, uh, 17 years ago, I came and gave my life to Christ on the Easter Sunday, and I'll never forget that day. He said, I'm wearing the same suit that I had on that day. I was pretty proud of it. He could wear the same suit. It was pretty, pretty impressive. But he said, you know, that day I was sitting on this side. We were in the school then, but on this side of the congregation. But today I sit on this side of the congregation. I laughed. I said, yeah. And when you get saved, everything changes. But isn't that true? The day you gave your life to Christ, everything changes. Aren't you glad God sent Jesus for us? Amen? Aren't you grateful there's going to be a new creation? So as Grant said next week, if we're here, Lord willing, we'll be talking about what heaven is like. And I hope you'll bring somebody with you and uh, be here and be ready for that. I want to pray for our offering and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning that we've been able to worship you in spirit and in truth. To sing songs to you, to worship you, to pray with you. Uh, pray, God, with other believers to you. Uh, Lord, to uh, fellowship together in uh, this communion, to hear the word of God, to have the hope that we've had from John that you gave by your Holy Spirit about the new creation and the new heavens, the new earth. Lord, we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can contribute something in our offerings. Thank you that we can give something for the sake of the kingdom and the work of ministry. And Lord, may we be able to do that more as the days go by. Be faithful with what you've entrusted us with. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.